Oh, welcome. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, let's get Bibles into everybody's hands. Uh, John chapter 18 is where we'll pick up. Warren, I believe, brought us through the end of John 17, the, um, really the truly what we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand nice and high. Lee needs one down here. Bibles are coming out. Mark a couple of places. Uh, one is John, uh, John 18, excuse me, and the second is Matthew 26. John 18, Matthew 26. It's time to get into the Word. You ready? Let's pray. Lord, uh, here we are, just again at your feet. Lord, a, a break from, uh, for our minds from media, a break for our minds from worry and from fear and anxiety and planning and all the things that our mind is distracted with, uh, distracted by so many things. And here we are, Lord. I pray you'd help us have disciplined minds this morning. Help us have disciplined focus and attention. Keep our minds from wandering onto useless things, onto to other things. Lord, help us for this time, this next 40 minutes, to have good attention, Lord, to love you with our minds, to be focused on your word. Lord, I pray that, that any heart that has come in here cold or hardened or skeptical, Lord, that you would pierce through those walls that have been up, walls against you, walls against people, walls against church itself. But I pray that you would begin to dismantle anything that keeps a person from you. Any excuses, any reasons that nothing, Lord, would get in the way of a person opening their heart to you. I pray that you would use your word and all the power in it to reach deep into the recesses of, of our lives to change and transform us by the renewing of our minds. We pray that your spirit would be our teacher this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. John chapter 18, we continue to work our way closer and closer to the cross. A much time spent, uh, much space spent from a writing standpoint on a very short period of time and and i would say and i think you would agree the events we read and i don't like to call i don't like to use the word story when i talk about the bible i don't like to say this story it's a drama it's a narrative it's a history story always to me sounds like fiction and, and this is not fiction this is real life this is a historical recording of the most important events that have ever occurred on the face of planet Earth. The Bible has often been called the greatest story ever told. The gospel, the greatest story ever told. And I agree with that, again, with my caveat about the word story. It's the greatest drama, it's the greatest history, the greatest events that have ever unfolded. And while we were away, we had a chance to catch a couple of movies, one on the cruise ship and then one while we were waiting for the airplane. And Jacob and I were talking about movie themes. And as you watch movies, there, there is something, you see the same themes over and over. You see themes uh, that include betrayal and heroic stories where the hero has to overcome you know, internal conflict and external conflict. And, and there's often death and new life. All these themes, and they're over and over and over. You can watch a movie and you can find these themes. And I believe that there, there's something in our hearts that love, that resonate with this story. And I think as God speaking to us, 
without us even realizing it. God is trying to, to, to point out to us, hey, you, the story that you're longing for is not, you know, Thor or the other Marvel comic heroes. The story that you're longing for is Jesus. That's the, story. That's the theme that we look for everywhere, and when we see it, it, it touches us deeply. And we're coming into that, th- this very, very dramatic, and, and I, if the Lord would allow me to do one thing, it would be to present this, this next number of weeks as we go to the crucifixion and, and the resurrection with, with all of the drama and all of the emotion that is hard sometimes to get when you're reading. Like, we love it in movies because it's so we can see it, and we are more than any other culture visual. So, you know, if you've seen the passion that maybe touched you in a way that, that reading it never did. But we're a very visual culture, so I hope as we look through this, we can really talk about and, and uh, bring out some of the details that make this, uh, this story just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, hard even to imagine what is going on here. And, and John, there are, you know that there's four Gospels, and each Gospel writer has a purpose for his writing. He's trying to bring out a, a different aspect of Jesus. You know, Matthew writing about Jesus the King, and, and John really focusing on bringing out the deity of Christ. That's what he's written for, right? We've been going over this. John wants us to know and to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is God's plan of salvation. And he wants us to believe that and have life in believing that. So John records things that are specific to that purpose. So he leaves other things out that other gospel writers include. And that's why we've marked Matthew 26. Because there's, we look at, at chapter 18 here in John. And it begins with, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. This is recorded in, in all the gospels. And after he'd spoken these words, what words had he spoken? He'd been teaching them about him going away and that he was going to prepare a place for them and he was going to send his spirit. It's been three chapters of teaching and then chapter 17, it was his prayer for them. And now that has ended. It was probably, it took place at the temple. And so those of you that have been to Israel, we've visited these places. Now they, Jesus has prayed for them, prayed for himself. He leads his, his little motley crew of, of 12 minus 1. Judas, of course, left during the supper across this brook, this little valley between the Garden of Gethsemane and the Temple Mount. And again, if you've been to uh, Israel with us, we look from the Temple Mount, or from the Garden of Gethsemane, we spend some time in there. We have a worship service there in the garden. And it's not like, you know, your, your vegetable garden. This is a formal uh, garden, an olive garden. Gethsemane means, does anybody know? Oil press. That's what Gethsemane means and and what a fitting place for Jesus to be during this very agonizing time in his life. And so John, presenting Jesus' deity, doesn't talk about Jesus agonizing in the garden, very human. But I connect with that so much, and I know you connect with that so much, so we're going to look at it in Matthew. Because being a Christian, you know, it's all wonderful when everything goes our way. And, oh, yes, love the Lord, and how's everything? God's oh, it's going great. God's really blessing me. But what about when you're suffering? What about when you're going through a trial? When you're squeezed, you know, it's like a tube of toothpaste. 
You know, you really know what's inside when you get squeezed. And Jesus is going through this tremendous amount. Anybody here ever been through something that, that they just felt so squeezed, so much pressure? Almost like you could just burst at any minute. Well, Jesus went through that in a very human, in a very real way. So we're going to look at that if I ever get on with the Bible study. So he had spoken these words. He goes out with the disciples over the brook Kidron uh, where there was a garden where he and his disciples entered. So it's probably a private garden Jesus had access to. Remember, he didn't have a house. He didn't, you know, there was no Starbucks where he could go meet with his disciples. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So evidently, it was a very routine. I think uh, Luke says that as he was accustomed to, it was very customary for him to meet with his disciples, not in the boardroom, not at the Starbucks, not at the restaurant. They would go to the garden. And I think that's a, first of all, what I see is, I think Jesus had some routine in his life, some spiritual routine. And to me, that resonates with me because I mean, habits, for me, habits are very important. I, I kind of, in a sense, rely on those to keep me centered. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, when, how easy is it to get out of the habit? And then when you get out of the habit, it's very hard to get back into it. So for me, like, going away, we, were, we traveled so much this summer. And you get out of your routine. And, boy, I can't wait to get back home and get back into my routine and going to the places I'm used to going and being where I, I'm used to being and meeting with people I'm used to meeting with. For me, that's just so helpful. I like, are, do you live a very routine life or are you scattered all over the place? Just whatever kind of comes next is what comes next. Jesus, he, he had a very disciplined life of getting up early and praying. And then evidently, he was accustomed to, so much so that Judas could count on him being there. Is there, like, kids, uh, your kids, do they know that, hey, it, it, when I get up for school, I know I'm going to find dad in the chair praying this morning. Or I know I'm going to find mom out for a walk just to, to cover the day, you know, in prayer. Or am, if it, Wednesday night, I know mom and dad are going to Bible study. Or we're all, I know the family's going to Bible study. Why? Because we always do. That's what we do. It's Wednesday night. Those are pillars in my life, pillars in my schedule. Jesus had pillars in his schedule. So much so that Judas knew he would be there. And I, to me, that's important. The other thing I see here is, now remember, Jesus is about to get arrested. He's going to go on trial before the, the Jewish people, and he's going to go on trial before the Romans with Pontius Pilate. He's not running from it. What John wants you to know is that through this all, Jesus is in control. This is not like, oh no, what do we do next? You know God, may, God has a plan. You know that? I mean, it's... Through Jeremiah, he says, I know the plans I have. You may not know the plans I have for you, but I know them. You have to trust me. You ever tried to explain to your three-year-old the plans you have for the day? I, forget about it. They don't get that. They can't think. They're thinking in the, in the, right now, like, what's next? When do I get my ice cream cone? That's what they want to know. You try to explain to them the plan. Well, first we're going to go here, then we're going to go there, and then we're going to do this, and then you'll get your ice cream cone. And what did they hear? Ice cream cone. That's all they heard. They don't care about anything else. And we're like that, aren't we? And, and God's plan for us involves, you know, some varied things. But there is, God is not a, a God of disorder. He's not a God of chaos. He, he's not a God of disarray. 
He has a plan. And just because you don't see it or understand it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so I see Jesus here, John presenting us, very much in control. He could have, he could have said, you know, if you know someone's after you, you don't go to the places you usually go. You go somewhere else. You hide. You go somewhere where you won't be found. Sometimes when I want to study, I can't go up to Cup of Joe. I can't go to the dogwood because I know I'm going to run into someone. I know if I really want to study, I have to go somewhere else, like Alaska. Because I'll go to Charlottesville. I'll go, oh, yeah, I'm going to go find somewhere in Charlottesville to hide, and I'll be sitting in Charlottesville, and then no, no, there's someone comes in that I, oh, hey. I mean, I've been in this area for a long time, so I have a lot of relationships. But I, I would, if I wanted to not be found, I would go somewhere. But Jesus goes to the customary place that he's used to going. And Judas knew he would be there. Now, verse, between verse 2 and verse 3, we're going to turn to Matthew 26. Because between verse 2 and 3 of, of John 18, there's a whole uh, thing that plays out with Jesus praying. And I mean, not saying his prayers. You know, there's a difference between praying and saying your prayers. You know, dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for mommy and daddy. And thank you for this and thank you for that. And, and you can say your prayers. And adults, you know, can say their prayers. There's a whole different thing when you're agonizing in prayer. And I just, I don't see it as much as I'd like to. I don't know why. I don't, maybe it's just me. Maybe I don't look in the right places. But I, I just, I long to see, and I think God's doing a work in our church in prayer. I long to see people willing to be honest and agonizing in prayer. It's the, it's the, the fervent prayer, the passionate prayer of a righteous man that avails much. And then it's interesting to see what we're praying for. When we do pray fervently, usually it's, Lord, get me out of this situation, not strengthen me in it. So in Matthew 26, look at verse, uh, look at verse 36. And we're just picking up just what we, same thing we read in John. Matthew 26, 36. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. That's what we just read. And said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul, this is Jesus speaking, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He wanted company. You remember Job and his, his Job's comforters, we call them his buddies, they came, and they, when they saw him far off, he was so grotesque that they almost had it. They didn't even recognize him. And they came to him, and they just sat with him for seven days. They didn't say a word. They just sat with him. And they should have kept it that way, because when they opened their mouth, they didn't say the right things. But they just, sometimes, look, sometimes it's just good in your suffering to know someone is there for you, isn't it? Just to someone to be near. You don't have to. Listen, those of you that are going to be comforters, and we'll all be that because we're a family. Some of you are going to go through some things. All of us. And sometimes there's a time just to sit quietly, just to sit near, to be in the hallway, to be next to the bed, to be at the hospital. And so Jesus brings his three closest disciples. He, he leaves some of them there at the, in the garden. He brings some of them deeper and look what he says. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. This is emotional. 
Jesus is feeling pressed by the weight he is about to carry. He's going to drink a cup. He's going to take onto himself something with your name on it. It's the wrath of the Almighty God against sin. And it's not the beatings. It's not the cross. I mean, those things are bad enough in their own right. But what is weighing on him is the weight of all human sin coming down on his shoulders and the anticipation of that coming up. You ever had a doctor's appointment or something that you anticipated? You know, maybe you're like me. Like, I pass out when I get blood drawn. So if I have to go to the doctor and get blood drawn, like, I'm already getting nervous and anticipating it, you know, even beforehand. So all this is being anticipated. And one of the hardest things to understand as we read through this and I don't know that any of us can rightly understand it, is how, how fully God and fully man can dwell together. I, I don't understand that. That Jesus could be fully God and, and yet be fully human. And really, Matthew, bring out that human side because look what he says next. He went a little farther and he fell on his face. Oh, you know, when people struggle, when people go through difficult deep waters, I see a lot of people resorting to other things. They just want to get out of it. They just want to do whatever they can to be released from it. And what I long to see is people falling on their faces before the Lord. We see Moses when he's overwhelmed by ministry on his face. We see Jesus falling on his face before the Lord. What if we prayed that way when we were really overwhelmed? I mean, maybe some of you, I'm sure, have. Some of you are right here with Jesus in the garden. You go, ah, yes, I was on my face on behalf of my, my unsaved children. I was on behalf, on beha- I mean, on my face, uh, you know, about the job or about my marriage. Don't even, don't even go to step two unless you're willing to do this. If you're sorrowful, and you're, uh, and you're feeling that pressure, go a little deeper. Have some people close to you and get on your face and pray instead of looking for the quick answer or the easy out. And look what he prays. He prays saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Fully human. Did, you know, theologians love to bat their, you know, put their heads together and have a block party and try to figure out if Jesus had one will or two wills. I don't know all that. All I know is here's Jesus saying that if it's possible, this is the head. What cup is he speaking of? Again, go back to Isaiah 51 and you'll see the cup of the wrath and the indignation of God. That's the cup he's speaking of. All of this coming. If it's possible, man, if there's a plan B, now's the time, God. I mean, that's real, right? I mean, you'd be silly not to pray that. We, we would pray that. We have prayed that. Lord, if there is any other way. I prayed that about a church building. Lord, if there is any other way that we can avoid building a church building. Really, I mean, I did. I prayed that. You know, it's expensive. It's, it can split congregations. It can be difficult. Lord, if there's any other way. But this is what the Lord had for us. And, and so, but look at the, the thing that you have to see about Jesus' prayer, because some people will call this a cop-out. Some people will say, well, you pray, and you pray, pray specific, and you pray for victory, and I, I'm not against all that stuff. But there is a time where, I go, you know what? I don't want to tell the Lord what to do. I trust Him. 
And this is a prayer of faith. This is a prayer of trust. Jesus, he, he obeyed the Lord. He wanted to obey the Lord. Lord, whatever you want from me, that's what I want from me. I don't understand it, and it may be hard. And oftentimes we're praying for a lighter load, and what God wants us to pray for is a stronger back. Because some of you, you know, it's not the cup of God's wrath. And let me just say this, by the way. Any of you have ever felt, as a Christian, that God is angry with you? Maybe you felt God is, he's punishing me because he's angry at me. That's why I'm going through what I'm going through. I want you to know right now, definitively, that that is a lie of Satan. If you are a Christian, you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, and you've accepted him as your Savior, you've accepted the forgiveness of sins provided by the blood of Christ, then God's anger is not toward you. Period. Ever. Never, ever, ever. His love is toward you. This is why this is called the passion. This is what we are reading is is because of love. Why would someone go through this? Because of love. God so loved the world. And not just the world in general. He loves you. And he doesn't want, he wants you to have peace with God. With peace with him. And so Jesus praying, hey, if there was another way, I'd still be in my sins. There was no other way. There was no plan B. And so Jesus did the thing that I think the place that all of us have to come to in our lives. Not my will, but your will be done. That's called submission. That's called yielding my life to God. And it is the key, and it is the open door to contentment. And it is the open door to power in your life. We spend so much time fighting God's will. Look, I, I've shared with you guys honestly and candidly, being a pastor was not my number one career choice or two or three or four or five or 20. I'm not even sure pastor was on the list anywhere. And you don't think that there's times where I fantasize about other things for a living? You bet there are. I'm human. It's a hard job. It's a hard thing to shepherd a flock. I mean, look at yourselves. I'm glad you're his sheep and not mine. But in, in all honesty, there's times. But this, I come back to this. Lord, I know this is what you've called me to. And I don't know what it is you're going through. Maybe it's your marriage. And you're saying, Lord, take this cup from me. I'm going to kill this guy, you know. Take this cup from me. And, and maybe what the Lord wants to say to you is, is I want you to see what Jesus prays. And, and there's a time, you know, look, I know there's lots of, I can't think about every situation. There's a time to get out of something. There's a time to be released from things. But we run there first because we're wimpy and soft. And I want to see a church raised up that's strong and steadfast and enduring. Because to be released from the will of God is to settle for second best. And I don't want to see us settle for second best in our lives. I want to see God's will done. Don't you? Yes, as long as it is in his life. I see blessings in my life. And if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Lord, not as I will, but as you will. That's not a cop-out prayer. That's a very, very honest and yielded and submitting prayer. 
And he prays it three times. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And we know this, don't we? Look, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I know that. I mean, how come, why is it that we can get ready for bed at 10 o'clock at night or every time you get ready for bed, and then we can just decide to cut the TV on for a little bit, and we can stay up till 1 in the morning watching stuff? Or we can get on, I'll just check my emails, or I'll just get on the computer, I want to check out this YouTube video. And three hours later, we're still watching YouTube videos. But try opening your Bible and see how long you last. You know, you open up and, oh, man, I'm, yeah, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, why is it we can spend three hours on YouTube or Facebook, but ten minutes in the Word of God and we're exhausted and falling asleep? It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. And this is what, so we, we understand what Peter is going through, what the guys are going through. I mean, it's late. It's the middle of the night. Again, verse 42, a second time, he went and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he's almost getting stronger as he's praying. Look, prayer is to strengthen you. Prayer has a lot of purposes. One of those things is to, to strengthen you in doing the will of God. And so we see him a little bit stronger. He came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Part of the reason they're so heavy, it's been a long night, a lot of discussion, a lot of emotion. They're very sorrowful. And so part of the reason that they're so sleepy is because it's late and because they're, it's so emotional. I, I'd rather be physically tired than emotionally tired. If, you're go, if you've got a tough marriage or tough you know, relationship with kids, you know the feeling of emotional fatigue, right? Boy, that's much more tiring than physical fatigue. And they're emotionally fatigued. So he left them, verse 44, went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words Three times he prays this. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Really important prayer. Uh, really, you know, how, how, to, how does humanity and deity, uh, how does the will of God, the will of, of Christ work out? I don't understand the details. All I know is when you and I sit down to pray, you could either say, my will be done or thy will be done. And, and I think this is a great way to pray. Back to John 18. And we'll pick up where we left off with Matthew. Is it possible that we could do like just two verses in 18, chapter 18? That's about where we're heading. For. We'll get a little bit farther. We've got a few more minutes still. And... Uh, so verse 3, the Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So Judas had gone off. He contacted the, the temple guard, the Pharisees, and the people that were Jesus' enemies. And he'd arranged for what John writes here, what the, the English translation is, a detachment of troops. So they're coming to Jesus. Now, how much is a detachment of troops? I had to look it up. And it turns out that a detachment is one-tenth of a legion. Aren't you glad you knew that? That clears it right up, doesn't it? Well, if a legion has 6,000 soldiers in it, then one-tenth of that would be roughly 600, between 400 and 600 soldiers are now coming. There's Jesus 
with his disciples in the garden, Judas leading the way. They're not, it's dark out. There is a full moon. It's Passover, but possibly that the moon was, uh, there were clouds. It was a cloudy night. They couldn't see, so they're bringing lanterns. And they're armed. I mean, we got a posse here. They're, they're coming after him. With, this is an armed group of soldiers coming for Jesus. Now, he is unarmed, at least in terms of the physical, right? And we also know that any time he wanted to, he could call down a legions of angels to fight for him. So again, Jesus is completely in control. He, the, so this whole guard, he doesn't say what the weapons are. The other, the other gospel writers tell us clubs and swords. They mean business. Jesus, therefore, and this is important, knowing all things that would come upon him. He knew what was going on. It's no surprise. No, Oh, disciples, gather around. Let's have a huddle. Let's figure out what do we do now. Let's hide. Let's run. None of that. He is ready. He's prayed, Lord, not my will. And now he's standing strong in that. Now he's ready for whatever the Lord has for him because he's been on his face. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? Now, he knew exactly who they were seeking, right? But again, he's not hiding. This probably surprised them. They're probably used to people trying to run and escape and get away. But here comes the condemned man. Just come right up. Who are you looking for? How can I help you out here? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, remember, they didn't recognize him. It's dark. And so much so that, that Judas, he wasn't, they, Judas didn't say, okay, guys, the one that's got the glowing halo and the hippie hair with the lamb on his shoulders, get that one. They didn't, they didn't rec- you know, which one? G- Judas said, the one I will kiss. Remember, he was betrayed with a kiss. The one, that's the one you get. Otherwise, they got the wrong one. It's it hard to tell who he was. So they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Now notice in your Bible, is he italicized? That's because really that, that word is just added by the translators to kind of uh, make it a little more readable. But really what it would have just said is ego I me in Greek, which means I am. So Jesus makes the statement just you know, like the other times he said, I am the bread of life, or I am the good shepherd. So when they say, who are you seeking? They, uh, he says, who are you seeking? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says to them, I am. Which clearly, can, this is, goes back to Exodus, the name of God. The, the, ever, the, the name of God is, is the present tense for being. I am, I, I always have been, and I always will be. That's God. And Jesus is saying, I am. And now look at the results of this. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am, or I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Wow, 600 soldiers, plus the the officers, plus the temple guard that were there, with their clubs, with their swords, Jesus says, I am. And they just, just knocks them over. Now how? I don't know. Word of God is living and powerful. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Jesus says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And a a dead guy comes out of the tomb. To Mary, when he tells her about, when the spirit tells her about, or the angel tells her about being pregnant. She says, how can this be? And the angel says to her, no word of God is without power. 
And so powerful were the words that, that it, just all their, all their armor, you know, all you hear is this big clunking sound, right, as they all fall to the ground. And there's Jesus and the disciples. I imagine the disciples are like high-fiving. Ah, this is going to be a piece of cake. You know, Peter's got his sword. And, and uh, well, actually, he's asleep right now. Um, not after they hit the ground, I'm sure. He wakes him up. So then they all get up, brush themselves off. Then he asks them again, whom are you seeking? Now, I'm sure they're looking around going, I'm not answering. I'm not, I'm not saying. But somebody says, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am, or I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. So rather than all of them being arrested, Jesus is, notice he's in control. He's telling them what to do. Let them go, you can have me. I'm turning myself in. And, and the purpose is that none of them would be lost. Just as, as Jesus had prayed. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off what? His right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So uh, Peter is a fisherman, not a swordsman, evidently. Uh, he's groggy because he's been asleep. It's dark, and, and he begins to kind of... He, remember, he says to Jesus, I'm willing to die with you. I will not betray you. Remember, he was so confident, Peter. I'm, I'm not going to betray you. I'll die for you. He won't be able to live for him here. He's going to uh, deny Jesus in just a, a few verses. But he's ready to get that sword out and ready to lop off ears with it. He thinks the answer is brute force. Any of you think that way? The answer is brute force. The answer is, I'm just going to take that Bible and I'm going to shove it down their throats. That's how we'll get it. Because remember, the Bible is the, is the sword of the Spirit. And I wonder how much damage. Listen, Peter, you know, he means well. He wants to defend Jesus. And, and it, there, there's, there's a courage about that. But he's, he's got the wrong idea. So he pulls out the sword and he begins indiscriminately slicing and dicing. Unthoughtfully, he's groggy. He's not skillful with it. And, it, and, and what gets cut off? The ear. Now, how did he do that? Like, talk about a close shave. I mean, whew, I, I don't understand how that worked. Did he duck and come from the side? Or was it a samurai chop? Uh, maybe he'd been watching samurai movies. I, I don't know how that worked. By the way, Jesus, I don't think it's recorded here, but Jesus, it's the last miracle. Jesus fixes it. The last miracle that he does. First one, water to wine. The, this one, is, is fixing the servant's ear. And this guy, I mean, we could co- talk a lot about this, but, I mean, did he have to brush the dirt off of it? I, I think about these things, you know? I mean, there it is on the ground, and, you know, wipe it off and put it back on. Oh, yeah, don't, you don't want to spend much time in here. Trust me, it's a scary place. <laughs> scary place. But there's a real practical application to this, and, and I, I think we shouldn't miss it because I meet a lot of people that have been damaged They've had someone who indiscriminately and unskillfully had a lot of zeal and used a word to lop off people's ears. And, and, pe- and you know what? They, they can't hear anymore. They don't want to hear what you have to say. They don't want to hear what I have to say. They don't want to talk about church. Why? Because they've been hurt by someone who was a disciple, a well-meaning person who had the Bible, who'd maybe taken a class or maybe had a little bit of information, 
but not a lot of love, but not a lot of grace. And it can take years to win those people back to the Lord. And, and, and sometimes I think it's only Jesus that can heal them. But how does Jesus heal? It, he, through us. Through us being willing to listen, being willing to talk, being willing to, to discuss what happened and why. And I spend a lot of time trying to undo things people have done. You know, that's not, that's not our God. That's not the God of the Bible. What, what happened to you? And, you know, the, the more zealous a person is against the Lord, I've had people call me and say, oh, you've got to meet this friend of mine. They just they don't want to talk about God. They're just really angry at God. And I say, so who in their family was a pastor, dad or grandpa? Because they've heard it all their lives, but they've never seen it lived out. And so we've got to, you know, hope the Lord heals that. So be careful. Uh, with wielding the sword in an unskillful way, in a, in a random way, in a haphazard way, um, because you can do some damage and then it can be hard to heal that. You know what I'm saying? Are you with me? Well, it's time. Oh, boy, it's past time for us to quit. You guys have been uh, very kind. So let's pray. And um, a- as usual, the prayer room is open tonight. If anybody is going through a press being squeezed, I want you to know if you're a Christian... It's not because God is angry with you. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. But tribulation builds character. Romans chapter 5. So, but if you're going through something, we've got a prayer room over here. There's people that will get on their faces with you and labor with you in prayer. They'll sit with you while you cry and pour your heart out to God. And you keep pouring your heart out to God until either the situation changes or God gives you a peace about it. And, and again, I, I want to invite anybody in here. Can I have Nick and the praise team come on up? You know, the interesting thing about, the, about going on a cruise is you realize how much time we do spend just trying to, uh, to be entertained in our lives, just to avoid thinking about meaningful things and thinking about our world is filled with entertainment so that you won't ever think about your life And I hope that this morning, this is a time where you can think about your life, the meaning of life. Why are you here? What's the purpose of it all? The Bible has very, very um, appropriate and truth-filled answers for you about those things. Everything points to Christ. And if you don't know Him as your personal Savior, if you don't know about the forgiveness and the grace of God, the love of God, then I want to invite you to come up and, and I'd be glad to talk to you about it. I invite you to go into the prayer room and, and we can pray with you. And, and uh, if you so desire to open your heart, there's nothing holding you back except you. God has done everything he can to open the door and he's knocking. All it takes is for you to let him in. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that, that you use this word in people's lives. Open our hearts, challenge us, convict, comfort, whatever it might be this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.